Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of The Random People Show. I'm your host, Sina Canada, and this show is brought to you by the Human Picture Initiative. You can learn more about the Human Picture Initiative at hpimedia.com. I'm so glad you found your way to this follow-up conversation with Carrie Morrison. If you happened upon this prior to listening to our first conversation, I recommend that you go back, check that out first, and then come back to this one. If you've already done that, I have no doubt that you're going to enjoy this update, learning what's happening with Carrie, her work, and the pilot project. We'd really love to hear from you if you have any experiences working with community-based mental health solutions and homelessness. You can leave comments on social media, Random People Show, at both Instagram and Facebook. Be sure and tag us, mention us wherever you're um, leaving us a message. You can also email us at info at hpimedia.com. With that, I hope you enjoy and get inspired. So that's great. And don't worry, Carrie, we don't have to take too long because I know you've got to get your dog to the vet. At 11. I'm okay. Okay. I mostly just want to follow up, hear how you're doing, hear how things are going with the project. And, um, you know, hopefully I get a chance to just stay in touch because I don't know, A, the film is certainly going to have to be adjusted and adapted. I don't even know what that looks like at this point. Um, I don't know when I'll be back to LA. I heard you guys are having another sort of stay at home for, uh, what, another three months? Yeah, till the summer. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's why I just wanted to stay in touch and make sure that I can keep up with your work and what you're doing. Well, let's just start there. Tell me, the last we left off, I left LA, I think the day before or two days before LA pretty much shut down. And I yeah, haven't I was, talked to you since. <laughs> I was just looking at my calendar. It was Friday, March 6th. And um, the that that next week, I think was the week... Oh, that we, we started to recognize what might be on the horizon because Italy went into lockdown on the 11th of March. And I remember being in communication with my friends there, you know, how are they doing? And uh, a week later, you know, Los Angeles was, was shut right. down. So yeah, we, we were right on the precipice and maybe not fully appreciating how much our lives were going to change even a week later. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell me how things have been going. Um, where we left off is what what brought you to the work. And of course, that you all are in a holding pattern with the work. And I'm just curious, what's happening now in the midst of this potential or this current um, global environment? So it's, you know, it's interesting. I kind of view uh, the month of March was uh, a month that we all felt was the longest in the history of human existence because we were all struggling to grapple with what was happening and, and things were just being shut down little by little. So I, I didn't think anything about the project in March. In April, it was kind of beginning all of us to get used to the new normal of a new routine of staying at home and trying to get food and trying to figure out how to be helpful when you're, when you're quarantined. And um, I use that time to I begin to actually in Hollywood um, convened via Zoom our homeless coalition uh, to to check in, and what we quickly 
moved to a realization that food insecurity was becoming a big issue in Hollywood. And um, so I, I kind of just became the unofficial air traffic controller to bring together a working group of faith organizations and government people and um, nonprofits and community activists to start to collaborate around how do we get food to seniors who are locked in, to uh, people living in supportive housing, to board and care homes where people with mental illness are living. And I, I found that in that process, um, what was beginning to kind of come together in a very strong way was, I thought, a pre-glimpse into the community mobilization and community grassroots support that I ultimately would envision for our mental health pilot. So in a beautiful way, it showed how the community coming together at the grassroots to help vulnerable people was a foreshadowing of maybe what could happen in the pilot because the pilot ultimately is predicated upon community connections to people with mental illness. So in a weird way, it, it looked almost like a dress rehearsal for what could be possible in the future. And it was a hopeful, and it continues to be a hopeful experience. Um, in May, then I began to move into, you know, I think we all are beginning to look at the future, like what happens to the things that we've been working on, what what is still intact, what, I, 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 uh, I think we all need to kind of go through a grieving process of what we've lost uh, in our society, things that we care about, things that we enjoy. Um, and I have been grieving um, not so much, I, I've come to an interesting place. I feel like I'm grieving how people with mental illness are marginalized in this um, in pandemic. And it's happening even in Italy. So the, the folks who are stuck at home, isolated, unable to go connect with the community engagements and people that kind of keep them whole, uh, that's happening even in Italy where people are, are stuck at home. And so um, this is kind of like a, a, a global phenomenon that people who are already vulnerable when they're isolated are even more isolated now. And nobody really seems to care. It, it, it's the, the, the existential crisis, which is healthcare, completely get it. And we're in a crisis response mode. There are folks then that are left on the margins. We see this with people in um, nursing homes, prisons. And I, I think people with mental illness who are both still left on the street or left in residential care facilities. I wrote a blog in April about um, how the digital divide is even more evident for people with mental illness. I have two people who I stay connected with living in board and care homes, which are already pretty oppressive um, living situations. In one, to keep everyone safe, they have closed the dining room, which would have been a place of social connection and everybody has to eat in their rooms now. Uh, they are wearing masks. They um, have uh, taken away access to their uh, discretionary income that comes in each month from Social Security and because they, they want to keep people from walking out into the community to buy things. So they have created a, a little commissary in the board and care with um, cigarettes and snacks. And, and you can 
get a credit against your discretionary money to buy things from the commissary. So my one friend who lives in this particular board and care, his whole life kind of came to a halt. He had been working on his GED. He would go to the libraries on Wednesday to send emails, pick up books. He loved going to the movies every other Saturday. He would walk throughout the whole neighborhood just to try to keep his weight off. And he is really stuck, as is everybody there. In the other board and care, where my other buddy lives, um, who's pretty, pretty severely mentally ill and really lacks judgment, because his, his mental health caseworker was working from home, which kind of seems hard as a caseworker, and probably also because he did not have enough personal protective equipment to go out and engage with their clients. Uh, when April 1st came, he wanted his money. And that is, he lives for his money. And also he needed to pay his rent to the board and care. And for some reason, he was under a, a scenario where his caseworker would drive him to the check cashing store. They would retrieve the money in cash and then go back to the board and care, pay the rent, and then my friend would have his extra $125 to spend. Well, because his caseworker did not show up on April 1st, he walked to Hollywood Boulevard. He got his money, all his cash, and he probably got robbed because he's done this before, and he remained homeless on Hollywood Boulevard for 24 days during the month of April. And um, it was just a mess. Like, we were all worried about him catching COVID and... Long story short, he ended up being hospitalized into a psychiatric hospital, and the board and care took him back, which I was surprised. But that's just two stories out of probably thousands of kind of dislocation, lack of understanding about what's going on, because folks are so uh, disconnected. So in, in my blog about the digital divide, I pointed out that these folks do not have smartphones. They cannot do what we're doing. They cannot do FaceTime. There's no Wi-Fi connection in these board and cares, typically. There's no way to do a, a virtual Zoom chat or maybe even a virtual church service or what have you. But then kind of the, the more striking experience that I've had in the last month, which I think is kind of almost providential in many respects because it's opening my eyes to a place where I didn't really have good access before, but now I do, and that's the LA County Jail. So it's interesting, I had um, in February uh, written and asked if I could um, be considered to be a, a volunteer in the chaplain's office in the jail, in the mental wow. health, because I wanted just to go in and hang with people, pray with people, just, I, that just, I just felt like I'm, I'm being called to that. And that would also get me into the jail, which is a place of, of you know, mystery <laughs> in many respects. So I did that on February 4th. I, I showed up for a four-hour experience shadowing this amazing volunteer chaplain, Olga, who had been doing this for like 12 years. And we spent four hours together, and we just went from, you know, pod to pod. And we went into pods where people were chained to furniture and we went into pods where they were, had more freedom. But she introduced me uh, to these two young men who were um, working in one of the pods where people eventually are going to transition out of the jail. They were inmates themselves. They're, they're not, they don't have mental illness, but they're in jail for 
to book criminal infractions or awaiting trial. And they have um, participated in this program called um, their mental health assistance, where they live with the inmates and they help kind of provide structure, provide encouragement, provide uh, training to prepare them and equip them for coming, coming out, of, out of jail. And as I talked with them that day, they mentioned that there was going to be a conference at UCLA in April that one of them was going to be able to speak at and that they were writing a handbook about their experience as mental health assistants. So uh, that just seemed like a divine appointment because I have stayed connected with them. And uh, in fact, the conference, uh, which was an amazing conference, ended up being online. I'm starting to have my eyes opened to uh, the situation in the mental health tower where there's 5,000 inmates um, who are uh, detained right now. And we are writing, we are, we are talking. I, I wrote in my blog that it's incredibly impossible to have phone conversations with folks in jail. It's hard to get through. It's incredibly expensive. I can't even imagine what families must go through. So it's opened my eyes to that. And in this time of COVID where they're not allowed to have any visitors, they are given apparently one five minute free call a week. And you can't, you can't have a conversation in five minutes, especially when you've got the voice coming on saying, this conversation is being recorded, blah, blah, blah. So this new door has opened for me. Um, I started a little pen pal program with um, friends of mine who are willing to write letters to some of the inmates. And um, I, I help them with some final edits to the book that is going to be self-published and hopefully come out soon. So I, I feel like in a weird way, this new door has been opened. Oh, and then I got a letter from the LA County Jail that my application to be a, a volunteer chaplain was rejected. <laughs> what? Are you serious? <laughs> and I thought, well, okay, the purpose was served. I got in. I met these guys. I'm in the beginning of a new relationship. It's, yeah, I, I'm, I probably wouldn't have been able to go there right now anyway. So it's just, it's kind of laughable. So the final thing I'll say is that, you know, I, I'm realizing that the LA County pilot, this may not happen for a long, long time. Um, the county is ground zero for everything, public health, criminal justice, housing, homelessness, they are, they are just um, juggling plates and they will be for a long time because it's apparent we're going to be in this for a long time. So I now am seeing the opportunity to tell this story to a, a wider audience. You know, all the eggs don't have to go into the LA County basket. Uh, this is a story of, that offers great hope to others. Um, so I'm going to be participating in a webinar with a uh, professional association next week. Probably we'll have hundreds of people listening, myself and uh, Dave Pallon, the principal consultant on the proposal. Uh, I, I was invited to participate in a, a podcast at Fuller Seminary last week about the project and, you know, kind of my journey into this work. And um, so I'm thinking doors are going to start to open to tell this story on a national audience. I'm also realizing, wow, with Zoom, which, you know, I frankly never used prior to this and now I'm, I'm experiencing Zoom fatigue as I know we all are, but I thought I could, I could convene, Heart Forward could convene a Zoom conference with Dr. Mazzina in Italy 
you know, it's just a nine hour difference. And I've already posed that possibility to him. This is something I don't think we would have thought of before, but it would be, a, we were always trying to figure out a way to get him to the United States and how to raise the money to do that. Well, you know what? <laughs> Let's just put together a Zoom conference and start to build a community during this time of, of quarantine. So that's kind of where I am since I've seen you. I'm really excited about that possibility, especially for what you're doing. You start to look at the people who are doing these, this sort of work in cities around the country, and suddenly you have a really full, really powerful outreach. Exactly. You know, that conference that UCLA had on, in April, which originally was going to be on the campus, and we all would have had to drive there and park and the whole thing that we thought was so efficient in the past. When they put it online, it was two and a half hours. They had 800 people sign up from across the country. It was on incarceration and mental illness. So that is opening up possibilities that I think we never, we never imagined a couple months ago. Well, and I think it's also opening up people's minds to how much we don't have to have such a huge footprint. We don't have to be on airplanes all the time, in cars all the time. We can do our work very efficiently without making such a huge environmental impact. There's going to be times where it's appropriate. We need to be in person, but there are so many things that we can do even more effectively and even more efficiently because we, have, we live in a digital age. Exactly. I mean, that might be part of the Zoom fatigue is that, you know, you can be on meeting after meeting after yeah. meeting, which are productive. Um, but, you know, you couldn't have done that if you had to drive across town. <laughs> No, exactly. So, we're, yeah, there's going to be some uh, pros and cons here. <laughs> I just miss going out to lunch afterwards. Like, where do y'all want to go to lunch afterwards? Right. Oh. <laughs> right. Oh, that was so true. One thing, just in case listeners, so what I'm imagining doing is putting your podcast and your interview episodes in two different parts. So for folks who may not have listened to the first one, can you just give me a quick outline about what the pilot is and what that would look like once it if it were to come to fruition? So the pilot, uh, which was uh, drafted and presented last year, actually almost a year ago, uh, on May 23rd, 2019, it was presented to the Mental Health Services Oversight and Accountability Committee, which is a state committee that oversees uh, what's sometimes referred to as Prop 63, the millionaire's tax in California which was uh, passed by the voters in 2004 to put more funds into mental health services. So they have a, they have an innovations pot that if a county presents a proposal that is considered true innovation, they will fund it. And, um, and so in this, in this instance, Dr. Sharon, who's the head of the County Department of Mental Health and is a visionary leader and saw the promise of, of the Trieste model as being something worth trying in a bold way, uh, hired a consultant, Dave Pallon, to put the proposal together. And, and it was, in fact, heard and approved last May for a five-year pilot. Now, the pilot envisions, um, to the best of our ability, creating kind of like a protected catchment area in Hollywood. Uh, and the catchment area is defined as about 120,000 people, 4,000 people eligible for county mental health services. And it's, it's innovative in that it tests a couple of new approaches. One is to uncouple 
the Medicaid fee-for-service model, uh, which is kind of rigid in how people working in the mental health system can, can provide service to their, their patients. It's more of a medical model. It's, it's highly intensive documentation and compliance and making sure that you are only providing services that are uh, reimbursed through, through Medicaid. And um, as a contrary or an innovative approach, it would be to uncouple that and create a per capita budget for the mental health system so that the people who need services, no matter what they need, whether they would typically be considered a billable service under Medicaid, could be served by workers in the system. So it's a per capita budget. It meets people where they're at. It looks at their whole person needs. And so it would require a lot of kind of innovation to uncouple that system and to reduce the documentation burden, which has been defined to me as soul crushing for those who work in um, county mental health. The other aspect of the innovation is because the Italian model is so predicated upon social integration, community connections, social recovery, and the therapeutic value of that would be to um, involve the community in this pilot through job opportunities, vocational training, education, cultural experiences, the ability for people to move freely throughout the neighborhood, go to libraries, go to art museums, go to the Hollywood Bowl, um, coffee shops. Right now, people with mental illness in our society are really relegated to where they live, if they're fortunate enough to live somewhere, if they're not in jail, if they're not homeless, there's very little community integration. It also would involve reconnecting with families, creating um, kinship, friendship, support systems around people. And I think, you know, what we're learning right now that social isolation is debilitating. I, I'm feeling more anxiety than I've ever felt. I feel moments of incredible sadness and despair. And, you know, so I think we're all getting a little window into how debilitating social isolation is. Um, we also would, in this pilot, um, create a very robust community mental health center. It would not feel like a clinic. It would not have the armed security guards greeting you as you walk in the door. It's predicated upon the Italian concept of accoglienza, which is radical hospitality. And radical hospitality, which could permeate this entire system, is a notion that we see you, we hear you, you are equal with us. We value you as a human being. Your life story matters, and we're here to support you. This is a radical uh, orientation, and, and we would like to model what that would feel like. And then finally, the, the aim would be to move police and fire out of the role of being first responders, which just creates this trauma and also relegates people to being either taken to jail or emergency rooms. So the goal would be to have a 24-hour system with a roving um, kind of crisis response team, which would include a clinician of some sort and a peer. You know, people with lived experience really can play a, val a valuable role in this pilot. And to have access to a, uh, an urgent care um, center, which would be a place to chill and kind of like... Uh, have it not be a traumatic experience like being whisked into an emergency room. There's a lot of components to the pilot. The pilot would, uh, once it would be accepted, 
the money would be accepted by the Board of Supervisors, there would be a, a one-year planning horizon to launch the pilot. So you see we're still, first we have to accept the money and, and you know, I'm just thinking that's not going to be until sometime in 2021. So meantime, let's keep telling the story. So tell me, Carrie, how are you able to, during this time, um, because there is such a lack of access, how are you able to stay connected with so many people that you've built relationships in this situation? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm, I hate talking on the phone in general, but I find that I have to do that more now. (laughs) So I try to do it while I'm taking a walk. Um, I am just being very intentional about that. Um, I'm keeping my, my, my heart forward. Uh, We are actually updating the website and to, to reflect the, the new way forward. Although, you know, I, I, I heard a wonderful um, podcast recently by a theologian who, just in a nutshell, this is what he said. He goes, a lot of people are, entered this experience thinking that we were in the midst of a blizzard. And in a blizzard, you, you hunker down and you store food and you, you know, hang out until the sun comes out again and then you can come out. He said, this is really, would be better to consider this a season of winter like a long protracted mm. season of winter and winter is an inhospitable climate and you have to adapt. So he said, if you are involved with any organization, you have to prepare for that and you actually have to grieve what you are losing and what is behind you. But once you get through the grieving process, the creative aspect will set in where, as he said, in your pitch deck, you keep the first two slides, who and why, who you serve, and why that is still relevant but you toss the what and how what you do and how you do it and the sooner we can adapt and reimagine what we're going to do and how we're going to do it um we will kind of emerge on on being able to to survive winter so i've been doing a lot of thinking about that um it does feel very frustrating that I can't be out. I can't be out visiting my friends in the board and care. We had started a kinship pro- process with this one board and care, bringing volunteers in to hang out and be in connection. Um, can't do that. We had another plan to do what we called kinship circles, which was to create teams of three around people living in um, supportive housing to create human connection. Now we can't do that. Started a little letter writing campaign into the jail. So I'm just continuing to. Uh, write about this, to reach out to to my team, um, keep people informed, uh, and let them know that, you know, we're, the dream is still alive. The dream is still alive. It's, you know, maybe actually something good is going to come out of this. That's the only way I can make sense of what we're all experiencing. Something good will come out of this, but we have a little bit of suffering to experience on the way to that place. It does seem that way. It does seem that good is going to come from this because so many people are having to adapt and adaptation is how we evolve, I think, in general. The organization that I was volunteering for, you know, down on Skid Row, Urban Voices Project, I'm still working with them, just volunteering with media support now because they're dealing with the same thing. It's the what and the how. They're a music organization that was built on serving 
the Skid Row neighborhood by meeting together in music. Yeah, and I, it was so uh, serendipitous that you brought that up when I saw you in May, because I had just in the previous month seen them sing at two events. Right. One was a fundraiser and one was a conference at USC packed to the gills with people shoulder to shoulder. And one of their methodologies is to move throughout the audience and to create kind of a, a conga line. You're touching people, you're, you know, and, and to make people stand up and, you know, shake their hands and wow, we're going to miss, you know, like crowds, gatherings like that right now. They're, they were very powerful as a group. So, right. So who they are, who they serve and why is the same, but what they do and how they do it is going to have to change. And they're doing a great job. Almost that that immediate next week, they were online. And every week, they're offering Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Zoom calls and live Facebook for people to come together. We sing. They have meet and greet where people talk and they share how they're doing. They have They do food checks. But it goes back to the access. And that's only available to those folks in the Skid Row neighborhood that have access. So yeah, if there's no the, internet or phone, you we're missing a whole population of people. I think everyone living in a board and care should have a, an iPad, you know, because I think they, it's probably hard to have a now a computer because of um, just the sanitary nature of keyboards. But everybody could have an iPad and it could be attached to Wi-Fi and that opens up a lot of possibilities. So that's something I'm going to talk about also. That's huge. Yeah. The, the connectivity is so important for mitigating anxiety. I know here in Springfield, Missouri, where I am, that's a huge source of anxiety because a lot of our population that are experiencing homelessness, no phones, no access. So all of this is happening. And then when the shelter in place happened, it was terrifying for a lot of people because they had no idea what was going on. No, I, no way to gain a lot of access or information. All of their services were suddenly shut down. And so it, yeah, the connectivity thing, I think is a huge thing. There's a big effort on Skid Row right now. Um, they're, they're fundraising and whatnot. I don't know if this would work in Hollywood, but they're fundraising to get access across that whole community. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for telling me that. Yeah. And I can actually, um, the folks who are heading that up, I can put you in touch with them too, to find out how they're going about it. I'm not exactly sure what the approach is, but I know Leov, the director of Urban Voices Project is really involved in that. Yeah. I'd be interested to know. I'd be interested to know that that's interesting. I, I think in Hollywood, a lot of the different nonprofits are setting up phone charging stations and things like that for those who who do have phones, but yeah, for those who don't, that's a whole different issue. It's a whole different issue. And then, yeah, you're right about the libraries. And I mean, that was kind of the source for so many people. I don't know. It's, it is going to be really interesting to see how we fare and every city is different. We have different populations. We have different scenarios in every city across the country. And then you start to look at our global scenario it's a, it's a little overwhelming, <laughs> but we're headed somewhere. And, and I do believe that as a global population, um, this is not new for us. It's, it's new because of the way we're experiencing it. But um, yeah, it, the, the history will look back on us and gauge how we managed this and 
um, what lessons we were able to impart for the future. And a whole generation of young people are going to be significantly impacted just in how they view life and vocation and civic action and health, access to health. And it is a big, uh, I like to say, a, a divine control alt delete on the whole on the whole world, right? Just like, all right, reboot. Let's kind of like shake this up and start over again. So I'm kind of curious because you do come from a spiritual background of some sort. Do you mind sharing how that perspective plays into your perspective on what's happening? Well, it's, it's um, you know, I do believe that this journey I've been on is um, God's had his hand on my shoulder because it's just, it's just so, it's so random how I stumbled into this work um, how I got the fellowship, how I ended up in Trieste, Italy. Um, this is not anything that I ever imagined or could have conceived or, <clears throat> yeah, imagined or could have conceived, but, but I have a heart. You know, I do believe God gives us all a compassionate heart for different, you know, different aspects of the globe. We can't, we can't be compassionate for everything. It would overwhelm us. That's his job, but he he portions out compassion uh, in different ways, and so I've had this compassion and this kind of heart for people with severe mental illness for years, and um, so I I feel like this there's a there is a calling here, you know, and and I have to I cannot figure out what's going on right now, but I have to trust that everything that has happened up to now has had divine purpose. It's it's you can't explain you can't explain how the state of California was willing to give 116 million dollars to a project that sounds so impossible but is so needed you can't explain how i managed to find my way to trieste italy and um and i think i may have told you the story that after i'd heard the story and i was there i was pretty depressed because i thought I could come back to LA, but no one's going to listen to me. I have no dog in this fight. I'm not a clinician. I run a business improvement district. And then, you know, by a providential hand, I believe the conference came up and 12 people went back with me and those were the right people to go. So I'm just a servant in this. And so I'm trusting that there is a plan here. God's heart grieves for people who are suffering um, as well. And Everyone who hears this story feels such a sense of hope and such a, a sense of joy that there could be any potential to improve our system. So I'm just trusting that there is a plan at work here. And I just try to stay obedient each day to what, what I'm called to do. Did you come from a, or do you come from a religious or a spiritual background? Or is this something you found it as, as an adult? I found it as an adult, actually. Um, I was raised Catholic, but you know, Catholicism, like many other um, denominations, is a religion. It's, you know, some, it's as I, someone, one of my mentors, uh, spiritual mentors told me, you can have a religion, but you lack a relationship with God. And so I feel I have a relationship with God, and I'm not part of any religion. I left the Catholic Church when I turned 40. I joined a non-denominational Christian church, and I I actually do believe my eyes were opened. I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, I 
was handed a New Testament by a friend, and I read it from beginning to end, and just almost um, I, it took my breath away. And then after I read the New Testament, I read the Bible <laughs> from beginning to end. That took about a year, and suddenly things started to really make sense. Um, and there's no other way to describe it. So that happened when I was 40, and um, I I. I feel like my eyes have been open to things that I did not see before I turned 40. So yeah, I'm, you know, what would Jesus do is kind of like, <laughs> like what would he do now in this pandemic? He, you know, what would he do? And I also, I think about like the apostle Paul, um, who was, who was extremely influential in Christianity was in prison for five years. So not that I'm saying I'm in prison, but I am stuck at home. I'm not in chains. I've not been beaten. I'm, I'm, being, I'm eating well, but I am stuck. And so God can use people who are stuck, you know, for his purposes. So I'm just uh, keeping my hands open to what that might be. So this is, uh, we're kind of getting down this spiritual road, but I think it's important because there is something to be said for the motivation and why people are compassionate and why people want to be of service. And it oftentimes comes from people who have a spiritual connection, a spiritual walk, a religious background. But um, a pretty common classic question is, especially coming from somebody who does follow Jesus and has a spiritual connection, what are your thoughts on why God would allow something like this to happen? It's such a great question. I um, was in an email communication with one of our elders from our church on this, and I, he gave me the most satisfying thing to think about. You know, we are we live in a fallen world, right? You don't have to believe in Adam and Eve or the Genesis story per se, but God did create a good world for us. He created a world, the Garden of Eden, you know, ample food, you know, people, think a purpose, things to do. And we, we kind of screwed it up. We're in a, we are in a fallen world. Uh, and a fallen world has death and disease and cruelty. And it's not a world of justice. And, you know, that, when, you read the, you, when you read the Old Testament, you know, you see that. Uh, the Jews were the promised people. And, um, you know, God had a, had a plan for them. And he had, he, he, he had a, a, a better place in mind for them, and, but what he required was obedience. And that was a really hard thing to do, to follow, to follow the law, to follow the rules. He gave Ten Commandments, and over time, you know, if you, if you read Leviticus, you know, they added hundreds of, of rules and laws on top of that. So Jesus came to, to overcome that and to overcome death and to overcome the, the fallenness of this world. And he conquered, he did conquer death because he, he rose after he was killed. He bore, he bore our, our sins, our shame for us as a covering. And so in this view, the pandemic is part of, of the fallenness of, of a broken world. And um, where God enters into it is how we respond. I have to hope that the beautiful acts of kindness that we are seeing everywhere in hospitals, in um, neighborhoods, with neighbors, um, with first responders, you know, we, we, you hear these stories that are incredible, the courage, people giving up their lives for others. This is where God is at work and that that is going to be kind of knit together for some greater purpose. 
we see the disease and we see the destruction and we, we see the frustration of how our political leaders are, are handling this right now. Um, but then we also see the good things that are happening. And I, I, I am just like, I, I walk this way, like, God, what is going on? Like, what are you up to? It's a mystery. Uh, he doesn't have to tell us <laughs> his plan, but I think it'd be really hard to get through this without trusting that he still is in charge somehow. That's a good person. It does. Thank you very much for going down that road. And I think it's a great segue. I've been wanting to get your opinion about something um, that's happening here in my city. So when I first came from LA, I came directly from working down on Skid Row back to Springfield, Missouri into winter like conditions and below freezing temps. And our city had no solution for a cold weather emergency shelter. They called the city for a shelter in place. The only cold weather emergency shelter that was open closed and their city provided no solution. So some of our church members, we have a church that works in our area where there's a lot of um, more concentration of those experiencing homelessness. They stepped up. Um, the pastor of that church, Christy Love, just immediately started moving mountains, trying to find shelter for people. Um, since then, the city still doesn't have a solution, but has called on the churches. And so the ch- at first, the fire marshal was citing the churches for housing people because they were not considered shelters or up to code to be a shelter. Then suddenly the city was calling on the churches to help with the situation, provide shelters. But the bigger point is our city does not still have a good solution, but the churches have come together. And I'm really curious what your thoughts are on that in terms of the city's responsibility. What is the city's responsibility versus what our responsibility is as as regular community members? You know, that's such a great question. Also, I think that um, what I've noticed happening with this pandemic and our response is that the city has, cannot do everything. You know, they can't, they, they don't have the bandwidth, they don't have the leadership, they may not even have the compassion. Uh, but people rising up at the grassroots and being granted permission to serve their neighbors is remarkable and it violates a lot of the normal rules. For example, in Hollywood, and this wasn't church driven, but I do believe compassionate people are sprinkled into the effort. Um, a group came together to very, very quickly mobilize volunteers to call senior citizens and ask them, do you have access to food? Do you have anyone to help you? And they, they started a process of delivering hundreds of food boxes every week. If you had tried to set up that program with the city of Los Angeles before the pandemic, you would have run into myriad rules like, well, let's get waivers in case some of that food, you know, is spoiled. And well, what happens if you give a diabetic a, a box of cookies and then they sue you? And what happens if the volunteers trip on the stairway or they're going to use their own cars to deliver the food? You would have had 48 reasons why you could not do this charitable, compassionate, much needed work. But in the face of this emergency, everyone's been like, do what you can to help. And that to me is, is exciting. It's like when we are allowed just to be human beings and let our human instincts, like people should not be sleeping in the cold. What's, what's wrong with this picture? Let's just open up our church. 
I don't know what the occupancy load is. I don't know what the fire department's going to say, but this is the right thing to do. That's that um, clash between our human instincts and what has become bureaucratic, risk management, um, rule-driven response. Maybe that's going to be one of the um, paradigms that's shattered with this pandemic. That is, that's such a great point, Carrie, because I think that's what keeps me motivated in exploring this topic and this subject is I have a real yearning to understand responsibility. I know what my personal responsibility is. I feel that and I know what it is, but in just in terms of our collective perception of whose responsibility is what answers so much of our deficits as communities and being able to care for one another. That is a, that I love that question. We should press pause there. I'd love to keep exploring that with you because now I've got to take my cat to the vet. Oh, we're already at time. Oh my goodness, I'm so glad you said that. Okay, this was just... Um, this is a great conversation. <laughs> this is just the beginning. I so look forward to keeping in touch with you and I'm happy to do these ongoing interviews this way as long as you are. <laughs> All right, you. so for next time, we will continue with the um, conversation of responsibility. Very good. That's a good, good place to start. Thanks, Sina. Carrie, thank you so much for taking the time for this. Thank you. Have a great day. Okay, bye. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. If you would like to be alerted to new episodes as they're published, be sure to subscribe to The Random People Show wherever you get your podcast. A big thanks to Max Diaz and his band Wires for the intro music and to CircuVision for the outro music. If you would like to recommend someone for the show, you can email us at hpimedia.com and put RPS in the subject line. Or you can post about them on Facebook or Instagram and tag or mention The Random People Show. I'll meet you in the next episode, and in the meantime, keep being curious. Curious.